Well, thank you very much uh, for your welcome. It's wonderful to be here. Uh, the last time I was here in Skipton was um, with uh, Lisa for her induction. Um, so that was a few years ago now. So it's fantastic uh, to be back here and to um, see how you're getting on and to hear. And I've been very encouraged by what I've seen and heard and everything so far. And I just wanted to say that um, I'm just really delighted that this church is part of Baptist Together. I know that you're probably not alone. Every church I go around to, thinks that everyone thinks that they're, oh, we're not really a typical Baptist church. I hear that all the time. I do try and point out that not being typical is typically Baptist. Um, but, you know, actually, you, you, you know, people, all, everyone's in their own place doing their own thing, and that's great. But you're part of a family across the whole country, and we're really glad, and I'm so delighted that you're part of that and just really encouraged by a lot of the things that are going on here. So hear that, please. Uh, it's wonderful. Anyway, uh, here is the passage. Uh, as I've been praying for you, this passage came to mind. Um, as a post-Easter reading, it seemed fitting for the season, uh, and as well as it seemed um, a sense for you as a church. And I wanted to explore this theme of authenticity. And interestingly, I kind of uh, did that, planned the sermon, wrote the sermon, everything, and then if I thought, oh, I've forgotten to look at the website, because I managed to get most of my information about the churches that I visit through their websites, which can be an interesting experience. Um, and actually, then when I finally read your website, I saw that whole kind of this theme of authenticity quite a lot coming through in the website. So God's obviously in the house, so that's really good. Um, so that's what we're going to look at, um, authenticity through this passage. So this passage tells us about where we pick up the stories in the days immediately after the crucifixion. It's Sunday, uh, and the tomb has already been discovered empty by Peter that morning. Um, but after that experience, Peter just kind of leaves in confusion. He's kind of like, what is going on? Um, but Mary, interestingly, hung around at the tomb, and in hanging around, uh, Mary had this encounter with Jesus. She runs full of wonder and joy to tell the disciples, but they really just can't get their heads around what's going on. They cannot grasp what this woman is going on about. And so they just kind of screen her out, I think. And so we find we join them then uh, in the evening of that day <clears throat> back in Jerusalem, possibly even in the upper room where they'd shared Passover a few days before. Um, but they were, it's very clear from the passage, they were afraid and they were fearful. The authorities had already arrested and crucified Jesus, and it was a very real fear uh, that they were going to be next. And so they were hiding, really, in this room together, uh, trying to find safety in numbers, lock the door, and they were afraid. It says they were afraid. But in exploring this passage, I want to begin with verse 20 and this encounter with Jesus as authentic Lord. Because the first thing that stood out for me was this verse in verse 20. And it says this, he showed them his hands and his side. And this to me seems very significant. We know, many of us, I hope all of us, that Jesus suffered a cruel death. That is a historic fact. It is proven historically as a fact that he was struck in the face many times, that he was flogged. After that, that he was forced to carry his own cross in the heat of the day, that he was then nailed to that cross and hung up to die. And when he was dead, that his side was pierced with a spear to check that he was dead. The reality is that Jesus suffered a cruel death. And that when he came among his disciples after the resurrection, he still bore the scars. He showed them his hands and his side. 
And what this says to me, this says something to me really important about Jesus. It tells me that Jesus was not some sort of Teflon saviour. Like his suffering and death did not really touch him. I mean, if you're like me, you need a really good non-stick saucepan or pan in your collection at home. Uh, it makes life a whole lot easier with cooking. But there's a sense in it just all slides off and it's wonderful. But Jesus wasn't like that. It's not that his suffering didn't really touch him. It just kind of slid away. It, that's not what happened. And Jesus was not either a sort of a, what we might think of as a plastic surgery lord either. It did all really happen, but it's like it's all been airbrushed out and made to look like new again, glossed over like it never happened. And neither was Jesus a kind of a stone skimming saviour. I'm not really very good at skimming stones, but some of you will be really good, wouldn't you? And it's that, off. how far can you go? How many jumps can it make? as if it was just a hop, skip and a jump from the triumphal entry to the resurrection. And if we keep moving, keep our fingers in our ears and keep going la, la, la and don't look too closely, it won't really affect us that much. But in showing up and showing them his hands and his side, I think Jesus is showing us that what really happened wasn't external to him, but somehow became part of who he was. And this is a powerful expression of Jesus as authentic, authentic Lord. His life and his ministry was real. His suffering and his death was real. And somehow this was all caught up and sort of honoured in his resurrection body. It was captured there. And in this verse we see an authenticity and a continuity in Jesus and his story. Suffering and death, we might say, was not in the way of Jesus' mission. It was the way. It wasn't in the way. It was the way. Now, the passage doesn't say that the disciples then showed him their scars as well, as a kind of like a show-and-tell session. But in a sense, there is that under, the unspoken undercurrent in all these verses, isn't there? These men had failed spectacularly so, maybe in some ways. Peter had denied Jesus. All of them had run away to hide in the end. They were gripped by panic and fear, and they found it difficult to believe the resurrection until they saw it with their own eyes. The bottom line is that they had not turned out to be the heroes that they had imagined themselves to be. You know, if, you, if you're aware of the, the scriptures, you know, only a few chapters before, you know, when Jesus had begun to talk about death, they were like, yeah, they're all gung-ho. It was all like, yes, we're right with you. We're for you. We're going to be there. We'll be there. We'll, we'll die with you. Oh, this bravado. And it actually, when the rubber hit the road, they didn't do it. They, they weren't able to do it. And I know that about me. I always think, well, in a crisis, I will be this great, amazing, but I, I know that I probably wouldn't. And they had to face up to that knowledge of themselves. They were not the heroes that they had imagined themselves to be. And they were acutely aware of that right at that moment. And it was in the reality zone of this authentic encounter between our scarred Lord and his bruised disciples that hope, healing, forgiveness, and renewal was born. The real Jesus met the real disciples, and together they kind of built from there. 
And I think that passages like this, it's the wonder of Scripture, isn't it? How it reaches down. And I think this passage reaches down through the uh, years today and speaks to us right now as individuals from this passage. So let's just think, what does it mean, this passage mean for us as individuals? Well, verse 19, if we just um, look at that for a minute, Jesus comes among them and says, peace be with you. Now, peace here is using the word, the Hebrew word shalom, a desire for peace, for blessing, for flourishing, for fullness in life. It's a very rich term. We just say, oh, peace. Um, But it's a very rich term about the fullness of life and a, a very positive sense of blessing and flourishing. And maybe some of us are very familiar with this passage and we just kind of parrot it off, don't we? Well, the Lord came and said, peace be with you, peace be with you. You know, we just say it, it's just a thing. But let's just stop and think about that for a moment. Let's just remember all that had happened in the last few days. And if you stop and think about that, there might be many things that Jesus might actually have said when he turned up. If you think about it like that, mightn't it? It might have been quite a different conversation if you think about it. But what we need to notice here is that Jesus does not show up and greet them with anger. He doesn't greet them with condemnation or frustration or even a mild reprimand. He turns up and he greets them with peace and blessing. The real Jesus shows up and meets you just as you are. And he says to you, peace be with you. And I hope that that is your experience of Jesus. That you today can say, yeah, (laughs) I've had that encounter with Jesus and I know that he comes to me and says, peace be with me. And if it isn't your experience, I hope it soon will be your experience that you, the real you, might meet the real Jesus and hear him say to you, peace be with you. Jesus shows up, doesn't he? Scars and all. And in doing so, he shows us that the scars that have been inflicted on us by others, by circumstance, and sometimes even the things we've inflicted on ourselves, are actually real. They hurt. They were painful. They might actually still remain a mystery. We might not really still fully understand. But yet caught up in God's bigger picture... And by God's grace, our wounds are healed and find dignity and purpose. And a kind of almost raw, authentic beauty. Because Jesus doesn't come to you as the Teflon Lord and say, your wounds are neither here nor there. Let it slide off. Jesus doesn't come to you as the plastic surgery Lord to airbrush over your suffering. Make it look like it never happened. Jesus doesn't come to you as the stone-skimming Lord to say, keep going, don't worry about it, it's not really that bad. No, just as his suffering and scars are honoured as real in his resurrection body, so too is the same with us. And maybe you might have experienced something of this if you've ever had uh, major surgery Six months after being appointed into this role, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, completely out of the blue. Um, And uh, yeah, so that that phrase about things not being in the way, but being the way actually was part from my journal at that time. Uh, I think it was Evelyn Underhill who said it. Because I felt like I was in a new role, I was going, and suddenly it was like, stop, I'm going to spend months uh, being 
ill, basically. And uh, it was really like, Lord, what are you doing? And that word, you know, this is not in the way, this is the way. And uh, finding that place of how can I follow Jesus through what was going on. But anyway, uh, through the uh, part of my treatment, I had surgery and uh, obviously have the scars from that. And then afterwards, um, I had radiotherapy. And if you've had radiotherapy, you know you have to go and have these tattoo marks tattooed on you. So, hey, I have a tattoo. Shows a sign of my age of what my tattoo is, of course. Um, so um, you have these tattoo marks, just little tiny, tiny dots, four of them. It's so they can line you up on the machine and make sure they get it right each time, of course. Um, it was a kind of a surreal moment. I went to have the tattoos done in the morning, and I think I was preaching in the afternoon in Wales or something. It was kind of like, whoa, this is weird in my head. But anyway, we, we did it. Um, so you have your, your tattooed. And uh, after I'd had my uh, treatment and whatever, there are occasionally times when you just glance, and I see the tattoo, the little dot. You just glance at it and notice it again. And in the early days, you know, I looked at my body and the tattoos, and I felt a bit battered and some sense of loss. <laughs> but over time, I began to choose to see those marks and scars differently. You know, I could see them as the struggle and the challenge. I could see them as a mark of the mortal dread of, you know, the possibility of dying an early death. But actually, I chose to see them as a sign, as a reminder of God's presence and faithfulness, as marks signaling my ongoing life, <laughs> not my dicing with life, and as scars that bear the invitation to cherish more deeply the precious things of life. Because, of course, when you go through that, if you've been through it yourself, you'll know that you suddenly really start appreciating things. And that's part of the grace of it, the blessing, to realise what is to be cherished and to have the opportunity to cherish it. So those tattoo marks and that scar is part of me now, it's part of my story. It's part of shaping my future. And it's the marked, slightly battered me that Jesus meets. And he shows me his hands and his side. And I know that I am loved and I am accepted. I know that I am being healed and still part of God's purposes, scars and all. Just like for Jesus, these challenges we have that come in our lives, they are not in the way of God's purposes so often. They are the way of our discipleship, and it's through them we have to find what God is doing in our lives. The real Jesus shows up to meet the real you, and how wonderful and how freeing is that. But there's one final aspect of this passage that I want to explore. There's something significant here about being together, and this helps us to see what the authentic church looks like. Because it's when they were together that Jesus showed up. It was when they were together, and when Thomas had rejoined the community, you notice it says he wasn't with them, and then he was with them. It's when he rejoined the community that his doubts were heard and allayed. And it was together with Jesus that they were able to move from crippling fear to overwhelming joy, together. There was something very important about being together. And it is this authentic community that Jesus commissions to continue God's mission to the whole of creation. He comes to them and says again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So I believe that there's something very important here about authentic church, being made up of authentic disciples on a mission with God. 
Because if it's crucial that we are welcomed just as we are, scars and all, then we need to be a community that welcomes people, scars and all as well. We need to be a place of authenticity. I really don't think there are many people in Skipton who want to be part of a group of holier-than-thou perfectionists who seem to be living the glossy Christian life. And in fact, we can actually hinder people's um, search for Christ if it all looks too squeaky clean and perfect. We can end up leaving people kind of short-changed presenting something that seems unattainable, that's kind of exhausting, that's demanding, that's disheartening. Something that people look at and say, well, I could never do that. We don't want to do that, do we? We want people to look at us and say, I could do that, <laughs> don't we? In a, in a really good way. To say, if, that can be, if God can meet you where you are, then actually I'm in. I, it's possible for me too. That is the sort of community we want, where people can come as they are and be made new in Christ, where we can celebrate what God does in our lives, but it's something about our authenticity, our struggles, our scars along the way that help people and make room for people on the way. I was talking recently to a, a pair of budding youth leaders. Um, it's so wonderful. This couple uh, are stepping up to the plate and serving. They're in their early 20s, and that's really encouraging, and we want more of that, so that's really brilliant. Um, but they were telling me about... Um, they've just started doing this Sunday morning youth group. It's only once a month in their church, quite small. But they... Um, they sat down with that. They've only been meeting a couple of times, but before Easter, they said, right, what we'll do is we will do um, a Bible reading, like some short Bible readings and some short prayers over Easter. And then when we get back together next time, we will um, we, we'll touch base about how we've been going on. So I said, oh, that sounds really good. Great, getting young people into reading the Bible and praying. They said, yeah, there's only one problem. I said, well, what's that? He said, we haven't, we haven't really done it ourselves. <laughs> So it's okay, well, let's talk about this then. So we talked about it, and they said, well, you know, at first we kind of actually forgot um, because it was all so busy at work and, then we, you know, and all this stuff. And then actually we found it really hard to find the time to do it, and now we just don't know what to do. What are we going to do? Um, we, can, we can kind of catch up a bit, but how are we going to handle this? And so we, uh, we, we thought about what they might do, and it's a bit like one of those magazine quizzes, isn't it? Do they, A, uh, so do they, A, lie? <laughs> <laughs> do they say, because after all, it's really important that we set a good example to our young people. And uh, so do we just say, yes, we did it. How did you get on? And just lie, basically, uh, and, and do that. And then ask them how they got on, and that's fine. Option B, do they forget about it? So do they sort of brush it under the carpet and forget and say, oh, and hopefully no one else will mention it, and then everyone will just forget. Do they do that? Well, actually, what about the ones that did do it and how are they going to feel? And what about trust? You know, kind of do, do you mean what you say when you ask? What do you think? Or do they see, be honest? Do they actually explain appropriately that they struggled and how they got back on track and why that happened? Uh, might they be able to then out of that facilitate a discussion about what worked for other people and what didn't work and all that kind of thing? Make a space for talking about that? Maybe then out of that to work out their next steps, to pray together, to be on that journey together. And they said, yeah, actually, that's probably what we need to do. 
and to see the opportunities in that. And one of the little opportunities that uh, we saw together was that um, you know, actually they, they work and therefore they've got a rigid routine in the morning. Well, many young people have also got a rigid routine in the morning. They've got to go to school, got to do things. So actually, how do you develop your spiritual life? So you know, good things coming out of this, reflecting. And I think that option C, being honest, appropriately honest, is authentic church. We share the same desire to know Jesus and to follow him as Lord, but we're working it out together. Some of us are more ahead, some of us are in the early stages, but we're working out together what it means to follow Jesus. And research shows that this is really important, particularly with 18 to 35-year-olds. Generally speaking, they are fed up with spin. They have had a gutful and are cynical about empty promises. What they are looking for is authentic leaders and authentic communities who are real about life and faith. They know all too well that perfect does not exist. They want to be part of a community that's real. And we can do that. You can do that. In all your lovely diversity, all your authenticity, you can create a multi-generational, authentic community where people can be real. That is incredible. That is a really precious thing in our culture at this time. And you can do that. You can do that. Another thing I notice from this passage is that authenticity arises from us being who we are. And that's a very mixed bag. Just think about the reactions of those close to Jesus that we see there. There was the women, they were excited. Uh, there were the men, they were afraid. And there was Thomas, full of his doubts. And, you know, so there's already a kind of real mixed bag there already before you've even started. And that is what community is like, isn't it? What Christian community is like. We are a mixed bag. You often look around, don't you, at one another and say, ha, <laughs> you know, like God's sense of humor and all that. And we never would have, who would have thought? I remember once when I was doing a church placement when I was a student in the East End of London. And I thought, I had this moment, I'm sat in there thinking, here's me. So I'm a graduate trainee minister sitting with a former drug addict and a lady, a real apple-cheeked granny lady who'd been a primary school teacher in the East End, and we were all drinking tea. And I thought, where else in life, where else in life would we have this? And how wonderful. That is just wonderful, isn't it? And it is through that that's really important. And the different personality types, I think, we've got to kind of go with it a bit more. You see very obviously there the whole Thomas thing, you know, isn't it? He says there, you know, well, unless I see it. And interestingly, the word says, you know, he says, I won't believe. Actually, the, the strength of the Greek underneath that is, I'll never believe it. <laughs> He's not kind of dilly-dallying around. He's like, give me the evidence and I'll believe it. He was one of those kind of people. He was kind of level-headed. He wasn't going to be swept along with all these emotional types with their silly visions and things. And, you know, there is a place for these people, and they're just different. I heard recently from a regional minister um, about an elderly gentleman in a church meeting. They were talking about the future of the church. The church has become quite elderly. And they were talking about, they've tried many things uh, over recent years, um, and they're really seeking God. Um, and they're talking about a community pioneer. And as the church meeting went on, there were so many questions, probing questions. Oh, what about this? What about that? What about it? You know, and just like very Thomas-like, unless I see it. It was that kind of feel of a meeting. And uh, at the very end of the meeting, when they'd been around all this, the regional minister was thinking, <laughs> I'm not sure this is going to fly by the end of it. But at the end of the meeting, this man stood up. 
And there's always that wonder, isn't it? When you've got the moment when you hold your breath, okay, this is going to kill it or not. You know, what's he going to say? And he stood up. And he's one of these level-headed Thomas critical thinker types. And he stood up to speak. And in the end, he said, well, we've, we've had a long discussion. We've looked at all these questions and, and I've thought about it and whatever. And he said, I'm in. I'll do this. And I will put some of my life savings to this. And the others did the same too. And that group of elderly people have got a kingdom vision for their community that will outlast them. All takes all sorts of personality types. You can't say what it's going to be, but we're looking to support them through home mission. And that's just one little example about how your giving really makes a difference. That here's these people who are saying, we're thinking beyond our graves here. How are we going to secure the church for a new generation? How are we going to minister to this community even when we're no longer here? And we're going to invest who we are and what we have in that. Inspiring stuff. But my point is that it takes all sorts, and we need to value and respect each other as we follow Jesus. It takes all sorts of people to reach all sorts of people. I mean, that's kind of really so obvious, isn't it? But we just so like to be with people like us. And we end up thinking that people like us are right, and people not like us are wrong. But actually, it's just different. And we need to learn to have the maturity to see things as different, not about right and wrong. And we see this across Baptists together as well. I see this quite a lot. And we need to learn to celebrate, to bless, and to release what God's doing, whatever it is. So what I see across the country is some churches love the turning, which is a street, a street evangelism thing. Some people absolutely love that. Some people are like, oh, I'm not sure about that. Um, Spirit Cafe in Sheffield, some people absolutely love that, really connects with, um, with emerging adults. Other people look at it and think, oh, that might be a bit dodgy. Um, you might go to Firestarters. One of the things we look at is this Firestarters initiative, which is a group of churches. Well, you know, the guy who runs that is a Marine, an ex-Marine. And let me tell you, you can tell. Uh, in the presentation and it's fantastic and, and he's like yes and they're going for the next hill and they're running and they've got focuses and they've aims and they've got goals and it's brilliant but other people think oh no no, no we're, we're more kind of incarnational and stuff but that's fine because other people have got a vision for ending modern day slavery and want to be part of Together Free. Other people are passionate about mental health and are setting up Renew Wellbeing cafes. Other people have great compassion and support, want to support refugees. Other people are fired up about missional communities and pioneering where there is not church. And I say to all those people, yes, yes. We don't have to live in an either-or world. We don't have to take every project. Oh, we're not sure about that. We can't do that. Yeah, if, if, not, if not everyone does it, we can't do it. Just go and do stuff. I say it, we don't live in an either-or place. We live in an and-and world. Let's do the turning and the Spirit Cafe and Firestarters and Together Free and Renew Wellbeing Cafes and Missional Communities and Pioneering and Food Banks and CAP. Let's do it all, whatever we can do, whatever God leads us to um, is God's call. That's what we need to be doing. I see God at work through all these things, and I am so encouraged. The last, very last thing is, the, again, a very obvious thing from the passage, but I will close with this. The authentic church is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Verse 22, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And maybe it was only now they were lower than a snake's belly that they really knew they needed God. 
I love that song we sang earlier. I haven't come across that before. I shall have to find out about it. But that, you know, out of my hurting, out of my brokenness, out of uh, when I come to the end of myself, there is God. And what we see here is that they were commissioned and sent out from a place of vulnerability. They weren't on the crest of the wave. They hadn't just succeeded and been totally amazing and kind of really owned it and nailed it. They were actually kind of like hopeless, <laughs> not the heroes they thought they were, frightened, hiding. But it was in that place of vulnerability that God came and said, and that I'm sending you, I'm sending you. I remember once having a chat with a younger minister. They were very disheartened. They'd had some bruising experience in ministry and were feeling pretty useless. And let me tell you, I know what that's like. <laughs> And I shared with them what I've discovered in myself and what I've seen in others. And I looked them in the eye and I said to them this, you never make a good minister until you come to the end of yourself. You never make a really good minister until you come to the end of yourself. So you're on the way. <laughs> and they were like, oh, wow, <laughs> wow. I said, you're on the way. In this place of fear, they were all too keenly aware they weren't the heroes they imagined themselves to be. But the real Jesus met them, scars and all, and prayed peace and blessing over them. And as real, authentic church, scars and all, Jesus breathed his Holy Spirit over them so that their less than could be caught up in his more than enough. The power that brought Jesus through death to resurrection is now available to us as we are sent out in his name to continue God's mission to the whole of creation, whether we're going to live to see it or not, we're part of that ongoing continuity of God's mission to the world. We're not called to be authentic church in our own strength. We are called as we are in him and empowered in him to witness to the world that this crucified Jesus is in fact the Son of God and Saviour of the world. Amen.